This morning we're also going to continue through our series we've been doing through the life of Kings David and King Saul. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. In this series, Walking with Kings, we're talking about choices, we're talking about character. As a church, we want to be talking about what God is doing in the nations as well as what he's doing in our own souls. And what better place than to look at the lives of these men, of these kings. And today's sermon is entitled... The wilderness. First Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 25. I want to read the text. I want to pray. I really believe that the Holy Spirit has a word for us today. I think we need to hear it. First Samuel 30, verses 1 through 25. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were carried in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives have been taken captive, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, please bring me the ephod. And so Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to him, Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. So David went, he and his 600 men who were with him, and he came to the brook Basor, where those left behind remained. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 were too exhausted to cross the brook Basor, And remained behind. Now they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate, and they provided him water to drink. They gave him a piece of fig cake and two clusters of raisins, and he ate. Then his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said to him, I am a young man of Egypt, a servant of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind when I fell sick three days ago. We made a raid on the Negev of the Cherethites, and that on which belongs to Judah, and on the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. Then David said to him, Will you bring me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring you down to this band. When he had brought him down, behold, they were spread all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David slaughtered them from the twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. But nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken for themselves. David brought it all back. So David had captured all the sheep and the cattle with which the people drove ahead of the other livestock. And they said, this is David's spoil. 
And when David came to the 200 men who were too exhausted to follow David, who had also left by the brook Basor, they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And then David approached the people and greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men among those who went with David, gotta love that title, said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except to every man, his wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. Then David said, you must not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given to us, who has kept us and delivered into our hands the band that came against us. And who will listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down to the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall all share alike. And so it has been from that day forward that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that every person in this room matters to you. And you desire to speak to us. And so this morning we ask that you give us ears to hear, specifically regarding the seasons we go through where we wonder what is going on and what is happening and why aren't things clear and why am I discouraged or why are my family members and friends discouraged and what do I do and what are the choices I make? God, right now we want to bring all of our discouragements, we want to bring all of our insecurities, our anxieties, our questions that we have in our hearts, we bring them to you and pray that you would speak to us in such a way that we are changed on the spot. We ask that for every soul here in this room. We ask it together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, I have in my library a set of five books written by the former Prime Minister Winston Churchill. I've never read them. (laughs) But they look amazing. They look beautiful on a shelf. But one day I want to read them. I do and hopefully I will because Winston Churchill used to speak much of the overwhelming seasons of his life where he faced personal battles and discouragement. And yet it is said that because he faced these own black periods of his own life, that he was able at 60 years old to lead a nation overwhelmed by Nazi threats in World War II. His own experience of adversity enabled him to be a leader who would bring a whole country to victory. He called these black periods in his life his black dog. The Bible often refers to them as the wilderness. And I want to ask you this morning, have you ever gone through a wilderness season? A season where your circumstances are confusing. All of the choices before you, they just seem so so complicated. Things don't appear to be going right. The direction you need for your life, it just seems so distant from you. Maybe your gifts aren't being used and it can often feel as though you have been put on the shelf. See, for King David, he was there. David had lived in the wilderness season. And for David, as it is for us, the the wilderness is the place where daily events seem to contradict God's promises. 
And for David, there was no big celebrations to attend. There was no prophet readily available to consult. The people around you aren't really the the people that you had in mind to be with you in this particular season of life. And maybe your dear friends, for David, like Jonathan, are separated from you by distance. And you just wonder, will God's word come to pass? God, I've seen promises in your word, but I don't know how this is going to come to pass for me. Have you ever been in a wilderness season? See, I ask that question because everyone who knows God, and even those of you who today might not yet be Christians, if you are to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, even today, I want you to know in advance Now, that it is not going to be all like jumping and skipping and rainbows and lollipops, okay? You are going to face difficult seasons. You will enter a wilderness season of life. And I've been through my own. And some of you have been through your own. And I've found that when I've gone through those seasons, I've asked two questions. God, where are you? And what does this all mean? God, where are you? And what does this all mean? What does this even have to do with anything? See, understanding God's purposes in the wilderness is the key to being transformed by the wilderness. And that is what God wants for you. That is what God wants for your life. And in this series, we're looking at how people change, even when circumstances aren't going well, how we can change for good or for bad. Because the decisions that we make in these seasons will show whether or not we're going to choose the way of faith or whether we're going to choose the way of the flesh. See, long before King David ever sat before God in the palace, he had to learn to sit before God in the wilderness. And every one of us will go through that time. And the wilderness season is not a footnote in the Bible. There are many wilderness stories in the Bible. In fact, King David's story is bracketed by two other major wilderness stories. Towards the beginning of the Bible, you have the man Moses, the leader that God called to lead the children of Israel out from under the oppression of Pharaoh and Egypt into the promised land, but they had to go through the wilderness. And it was there in the wilderness that the people of Israel had to learn not to trust in idols, but to trust in God. And then you move into the New Testament and you see Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. But before he begins his public ministry, where does he go? The wilderness. And in his wilderness, he was tempted by the devil himself. Satan tempted Jesus to make God as a means to an end, and yet Jesus refused. And in doing so, Jesus becomes our Savior who teaches us and transforms us. See, here's King David, anointed as king. God had chosen him as king, but David had been pushed out by the envious and murderous and still reigning King Saul. So at this point in our story, David is still on the run. David is living in obscurity. And yet it is there that he learns some of the most important lessons for his life. And I've chosen this particular story in 1 Samuel 30. I believe it's important for three reasons. Number one, this story reveals a stark contrast between David and Saul. Both of them make bad choices, David had two wives. Some of you are like, wait, what? Yes, scripture says 
that you're not to multiply wives. David did that. David isn't always the golden boy. David doesn't always make good choices, and we'll learn a little bit more about that in a few weeks' time. But the difference between Saul and David is that David listens to conviction. It reveals a contrast. Secondly, this story sets a standard for how David would lead in Israel once he became king. In other words, this story is a coming attraction of his leadership. And thirdly, I've chosen this story because it marks the end of David's years on the run. It's David's final journal entry in the wilderness, if you will. And I think it summarizes three vital discoveries. Since all of us are going to face, or some of you might even be in a wilderness season now, it is important to know what they mean for us. And in this story, David comes to the brook Basor, which in Hebrew means good news. And I want all of you to know that there is good news, even in the wilderness. So first of all, in the wilderness, what is God doing? We discover how much we need to listen. We discover how much we need to listen. We must come to God in prayer, in times of prosperity and in times of adversity. See, when we're faced with problems and challenges and difficulties, we find ourselves in need of direction. The question for you this morning is, what is your go-to? What's the first place that you turn to when you're in desperate need? Like you, you get some bad news. Where do you run first? Is it your friends? Is it your family members? Or is it your, your savings in your bank account? Where's the first place you run in times of difficulty? Now, the things I've mentioned, they are not necessarily bad, but they are not ultimate things. We need to learn to run to God. See, here, as David's in the wilderness, he's in trouble, and it's not the first time. David's been in the wilderness season for a long time. I don't know, when you think of a wilderness season, I don't know what your time period is. Some of you have been in a wilderness season, and you're like, man, it's been two weeks, Oh God, you know, it all started October 15th and I just can't take it anymore. When will this wilderness end? And some of you might say, hey, that's nothing. I've been in the wilderness for two years. God, where are you in the wilderness? Well, friends, David was in the wilderness for 10 years. 10 years he was in this wilderness season, all throughout his 20s. I'm sure you've, you've heard that your 20s are the defining decade. You ever heard that? Some of you are 28. You're like, what? <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> David spent an entire decade of his life on the run in the wilderness when things weren't going well. And add to that, he was surrounded by a, an army that was full of wicked and worthless men. Just love that that's there in the text. Not really the ideal community that you would think of, like, oh, if I'm in a wilderness season, I want the most spiritual, prayerful people around me. And David looks around, and he's like, wow, okay. I got you instead. <laughs> Add to that, there's the Amalekites. They were violent enemies. And in this story, we're told that they took everything. They burned the, the city. They took all their possessions. They took their wives and their children and we find out in verses 1 through 6 that even David's own people were angry with him. Here David has led them for years and his own people are angry with David. So in that moment, what would he do? 
You know what I would do? I would lash out in bitterness and resentment. I'd be like, people, I've been giving you gold for years, you know, just leading you with incredible capacity. Now you're mad at me? But David doesn't do that. See, when we've suffered some kind of loss, we've been hurt, we easily respond the way that David's army did, looking for stones to throw. And let's just admit it. There are times that we respond in that way. We're in the wilderness season and we're frustrated and we're just looking at s- for stones to throw. Like, oh, it's all your fault. You did this to me. We might even lash out at our own husband or our wife or our own friends or maybe even the church saying, this is your fault. You did this to me. But David doesn't do that. Picture yourself as David. He's in the midst of all these people. They're embittered with him. They're angry with him. There's all these voices speaking into David's life. And there are all kinds of voices speaking to our own lives and our own ministries. And they're not always necessarily bad, but they're not always good either. But what God was teaching David to do in the wilderness is the same thing he teaches us. We need to listen to the right voice in the wilderness. And that voice is God's. See, in the wilderness, there may be very little encouragement offered by others, but you can always find it in God. See, in the midst of all that, did you see what happened at the end of verse six? In the midst of losing everything, David lost his own family here, and his own people are complaining. What did David do? He strengthened himself in the Lord. Amazing. How did he he do that? He remembered that he had a God who listens. After pouring out his own cup of grief, what did he do? He inquired of God. In verses six through eight, we're told that he wept first and then he sought direction. And I believe that even David's example here is a lesson for you and I because there are two extremes for us when it comes to facing wilderness seasons. On the one hand, some of you don't actually mourn and grieve and even weep over the problem that has come upon you. You just kind of jump straight to, oh, something really bad has happened. I can't handle it. I'm just going to pray. Lord, bless it. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I've gone through seasons where I've just been in tears and I'm just tormented and I've gone up to somebody for prayer and I'm like, yeah, you know, like life is really hard. Someone we know just, you know, got diagnosed. And they're like, oh, well, you know, God's a healer. Lord, heal him. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I'm like, oh, oh. can I get a tissue or like, is there anything else I can get from you or... See, the, the problem is if, if, we, if we don't actually sit with what has actually happened, then sometimes we can become superficial. And maybe that's a tendency for you. You just don't like to deal with stuff. It's just like, oh, let's pray, give it to God, moving on. That's one extreme. But then there's another extreme where you just weep and mourn and that's all you do. And somebody says, let's pray. And you're like, no, we're not gonna pray. God's not gonna do anything anyway. And you just sit in it but you're sitting in it so much that that you haven't lifted your eyes up and looked to God himself for what he can do in the midst of that. Church, what we find here is a balance. There's nothing wrong with weeping and mourning and grieving. Anyone who tells you not to grieve has bad theology. Jesus, we remember when he was faced with the death of his own friend Lazarus and surrounded by the hard-heartedness of religious leaders, what did Jesus do? He wept. Jesus wept. David wept, but then he inquired of the Lord. It is good that they grieved, but it doesn't end there. He, he grieved, then he inquired, and then he listened. And we're told in this story that he took the legitimate way of seeking God, which was through the priest. 
See, at that time, God's provision through the law was that a priest was to be a a mediator. God had a specific way for people to seek guidance, and that was through the priest. A priest is a go-between for man and God, and that's how David was to seek God, and that's what he did. He followed God's way. Now, today, you and I don't have a guy named Abiathar, and we don't have these rad things called ephods, but we do have a high priest, and his name is Jesus. And he is the ultimate high priest. And he is the one that has given all of us access 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The gates of heaven have been opened to you and me so that no matter where you are, what situation you are in, you can inquire of God. I mean, I don't know what perception you have of God in your mind when you're going through a time of great need, but sometimes I've been in places where I think and I feel as if God doesn't want to hear my prayer. Like, God, am I just annoying you right now? Like, God's up in heaven. He's like, look, pray in the morning, but don't bother me, okay? Like, I've got a busy day. Like, I don't know about you. I've got a busy day. We have this picture of God just with his arms folded, like, again? Really? Like, praying more? But when you read the Bible, you never get the impression that God is reluctant to hear our prayers. You never get that. In fact, it's the opposite. God is saying, why don't you pray more? I mean, think about it, friends. The way has been opened for us. Listen to what Hebrews says. Since then, in Hebrews chapter four, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heaven, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. When is our time of need? All the time. So let's go to the throne of grace. The way has been opened. Let us inquire of God. Now, how do we do that? Well, we can inquire of God through his word. We study his, the scriptures to know him and to know what we ought to do. For some of us, this is the last place we go when in fact it should be the first. We inquire of God by listening to the Holy Spirit. We're told in scripture that the Holy Spirit guides us, convicts us, compels us, and empowers us. We don't always have a map, but we always have a guide. We don't always know like what step B and step C and step D is, but we have a guide and his name is the Holy Spirit. Through God's word, by God's spirit, and in prayer. We have direct access. Now, some of you in this moment are saying, okay, that's great, but I'm not really going through a wilderness season now. Well, praise God. If If you're in a time of blessing, that's amazing. But listen, Don't wait till the wilderness to learn to pray. If you're in a time of blessing, learn to pray now. Learn to inquire of God. Because the alternative is deadly. And we see the alternative in the life of Saul. See, in contrast to David, Saul is actually out of touch with God. Saul is going down a path of destruction. At this time, Saul is going off the deep end. Saul is operating like many of us are tempted to do, out of envy and out of insecurity. And as you read through 1 Samuel, you see how far Saul has gone. And just to give you an insight to what's happening in the life of Saul, though he's not mentioned directly in this chapter, here's what's happening. At the same time, that David is inquiring of God in prayer, Saul is seeking out a witch for counsel. We're told that Saul is so desperate, so desperate to know how everything's gonna unfold, that he does not hesitate to go seek a witch 
and says, hey, can you like conjure up somebody from the dead so I can like, you know, figure out what to do? It's so tragic. And Saul's life would end tragically. He would fall on his own sword. He would take his own life at the end of the story. Now we might hear that and say, look, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go like, you know, I'm not going to go to the tarot card reader over in Summerland. Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But listen to what's actually going on in Saul's heart. Let's look beneath the surface in Saul. The fact that Saul would go to a witch shows us that Saul has no problem with the supernatural. Don't think of Saul as some kind of atheist. Like, oh, I kind of lost my faith somewhere along. I don't believe in God or the supernatural anymore. No, Saul believes in the supernatural. He does. But Saul wants the supernatural without all the inconveniences of a relationship. See, I hate to admit it, but sometimes we act the way of Saul. For us, God is like one of those, remember those plastic eight ball things that you used to get when you were a kid? And you'd ask it a question, you'd shake it like, should I do my homework? No, and you're like, yay, I love this answer. (laughs) See, sometimes we function like that, like God, I just want your stuff. Like God is some kind of cosmic vending machine and I can just go to him and I just want my stuff. And friends, that is not the way it is to be. We are not to look to God just for his benefits, but for who he is. In fact, the Bible tells us that it is precisely in a relationship with God, with the living God, that we know what to do and that we know how to do it. Now, David here gets a specific answer. And sometimes God does give us specific answers, but he may not. But in that day when you don't get the specific answer you want, guess what you still get? God. And God is the greatest answer of all. But in the wilderness, this all gets revealed. Just like it did for Saul, just like it did for David. Which raises the question for you and me. Is God our God? Is he truly our God? Because if so, there is no situation so bad, there is no circumstance so dire in which your faith will not help you. There is a promise of God for every one of your circumstances. Have you ever thought about that? Mind-blowing. There's a promise of God for every circumstance that you go to. See, when David prays, David prays to his Lord. He uses that very specific title. Why? Because a Lord is one who rules and governs over all. And this is the name that David had in mind when he prayed. And when you look at the rest of the prayers of David, and when you look at the book of Psalms, it seems that David had as many names for God as he had needs in his own life. He had all these different names for God. Why? Because he was connecting God's name with his needs. And when you look at the Bible, look at all God's names. God is creator. He's the one who's the source of life. God is our deliverer when we need deliverance. God is our healer when we need healing. He is our provider, our ruler, our redeemer, our refuge, our rock. He is our shepherd. Church, you need to connect your needs today with God's name. If you're in need of healing, Pray that even today, God, you're my healer. If you need protection, say, God, you're my refuge. Follow the example of David. Listen to God in prayer and watch for his answer. And secondly, in the wilderness, we discover how much we need to lean. You and I must rely on the provision and resources that God himself supplies. See, in the wilderness season, It's a time of stripping away. 
Things are taken away that that in one time you relied on them. They were so readily available. See, when David was younger and he was slaying the giant, David was young and untested and he had all these resources available to him, but he's been in the wilderness for 10 years. He doesn't have that anymore. He doesn't have it. He was being stripped away. And that's very often what we find happening in wilderness seasons. You just don't have all the stuff, all the resources, the connections or whatever it might be that you have. And you need to know that's a part of what it means to go through the wilderness. But by the grace of God, the wilderness is not only a time of stripping, it's a time of equipping. Because it's in that moment, in that season, when God is teaching you to rely on him. See, God makes us aware of our limits and our lack of resources so that we might come to trust in his resources. And listen, I don't want this to just be abstract. It's one thing for us just to know about God's provision. It's another thing to actually rely upon it. See, I would assume right now, most of us, we know about the power of the Holy Spirit. We know about that. You've read in your Bible, you've heard sermons. But do you know what it is like to be so desperate that if you say, God, if you don't move, nothing of eternal value will happen? See, that kind of prayer is born out of a season of desperation. David was there, and sometimes we go through there. But one thing that David was learning, and what you and I are to learn, is to really depend and rely on God's provision. And notice how he did that in verses 9 through 15. David prays, and he gets this answer from the Lord, and then what does he do? He obeys. He obeys. He sets out in anticipation of God's provision. Look at the steps that he took. He said, okay, if God's going to give me victory, then I'm going to go out. I'm going to go out with my army, with whatever it is that I have. And sure enough, God provides along the way. See, I always want like all the details of how God's going to provide. Every morning when I wake up and I pray, I'm like, God, send me an email. I want a PDF. I just wanted to outline at 10, 17, you're going to get that call from that person that, you know, hasn't called you back in five weeks and you're a little bitter, but you really need some information from them. See, I want all the details, much like the disciples did in Acts chapter one, when Jesus was resurrected out of the tomb. Do you remember that story? It's great. All the disciples are there and Jesus is risen and they're like, yeah, this is going to be so great. And the disciples asked Jesus, hey, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And what's Jesus' answer? Shh. It is not for you to know. I hate that answer. (laughs) Real talk right now, people. I hate that answer. God, what is happening in my life right now? It is not for you to know. Dang it. (laughs) Can it become for me to need to know? How do we change that? Can I start praying that prayer? But Jesus didn't leave him hanging. He said, the times and seasons are not for you to know, but I will give you power. See, for whatever difficulties or struggle or suffering that you are going through right now, God does not always give you an explanation, but he always gives you a promise. God never promised that you wouldn't go through the wilderness, but that when you do, he would be with you and he would never forsake you. And it's in anticipation of that ultimate glory he's gonna bring about, that you obey. David took steps and it was hard work. Look at what God provided. He had an army, wasn't ideal, doesn't matter. See, some of us, we think, man, if I'm going through this season, I would just love all these like, you know, epic prayer warriors around me, but that doesn't always happen. David said, okay, this is what I have. I'm gonna move forward. 
And then as they go on their journey, they find an Egyptian slave who was left for dead who happens to point them in the right direction where they then become victorious and the enemies are defeated and all that they lost had been regained. See, what David learned is a lesson I remember hearing from Corey Tenboom, this famous, sweet, amazing woman who, if you know about her life, then you'll know that she was a Holocaust survivor. And she once famously said that you will learn that God is all you need when God is all you have. And it's in the wilderness that we learn that. Contrast that to Saul, who does not allow this stripping process to, 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 to happen in his life. You know what Saul does? Saul goes into damage control mode. He just can't handle anything. Unlike David, who goes into dependence. And that's where you and I need to be. We must lean on God's provision. But I, I think this is really important. Though David was assured of victory, that obedience required a lot of hard work. Like David actually had to go out to battle. He actually had to do stuff. He had to lead this army. And the same is true in our own lives. Even if there's an assurance of, of that something is gonna come to pass, God's promise often comes with a process. There might be that pro- promise, but then we have to, there's this obedience. We have to go through a process and it's not always easy. In verse 16 through 20, a lot of steps had to be taken and oftentimes walking in the way of victory involves hard work. The promise of God to orchestrate an outcome does not mean that we don't participate. He leads us and he uses us because he loves us. Are there times of waiting on God where we don't do anything? Yes, but there are also times of action. And those times of action will involve hard work. Look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Don't you love Paul? It's like, hey, all those other guys you work with, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, it was the grace of God in me. Oh, I love Paul. But notice that he's saying it's the grace of God at work. Yes, but it's, it's the grace of God that fuels my effort. And so it is for us. And in these seasons, when we have to lean on God's provision, God is often doing two things. He's bringing a victory for us and he's creating maturity in us. He's causing us to take steps of faith so that we would be obedient. Because he was, God was not only bringing up about a victory through David, he was bringing about a victory in David. Listen, you might look around and just say, you know what, my current situation is not ideal, and I just want to say to you with all love and, and humility, who cares if it's not ideal? Whatever you have is the situation you're in. Just bring that to God. Bring it to him. And whatever little that you do have, lean on that. Guard what you have. And if God leads you to do something, whether the circumstance is ideal or not, do it. The question for you today is, will you do it? Will you lean on his provision? And lastly, in the wilderness, we discover how much we need to learn. How much we need to learn of God how much we need to know and reflect his character about who God is and what it is that he wants to do because all of our decisions, they flow out of this place of of a right understanding of God and a right understanding in our own selves. See, experiences in the wilderness season, they force you to choose. They force you to choose. See, look at David and Saul. In a time of great distress, both men sought guidance. 
One of them rejected God's word. The other relied upon God's word. One of them sought help through disobedience and it brought death. But the other through obedience and it brought life. See, Saul's story, though there are some high points, is a story of long disobedience. But David's story, on the other hand, though it has some major low points, is a story of long obedience. And here in the final section of this, this chapter, David, because of those choices, became a coming attraction of the type of king he would be, even when things weren't going well. He's operating out of the conviction that God is present, that God is active, that God cares, and that God shows grace. Notice in verses 21 through 25, do you see what happened there? When all of his 400 men who went with David to battle, they said, don't give the the rest of the people who are tired and exhausted, don't share the treasure with them. And what did David say? No way. David said, they're going to get it too. What was David doing? What was happening there? What did it reveal about how David saw his life? What did it reveal about how David saw his situation? David treated, though he worked hard and he went out to battle, listen, David treated the victory as a sheer gift. See, that's the only way you can be generous and compassionate and merciful when you're going through the ringer is when you realize that every little thing you have, even if it's a small amount, is a gift from God. You've earned nothing. That was the posture of David. He even treated the left-behind Egyptian slave with generosity. And we're told, this was significant, we are told that these decisions he made that day, they set a new standard in Israel. And it was David's way of saying this, in God's kingdom, the tired, even the tired and exhausted, will be given grace. Equal share for everyone, all on the basis, not of what each person achieved, but just on the basis that they're in the community. A new king brings about a new order. The last will be treated like the first. Sound familiar? That's what Jesus himself said. See, all this reminds me of the New Testament where Jesus told parables about workers who would come into the vineyard field at different times, but at the end of the day, guess what they'd be given? Grace. They'd be given according to what God wanted to give them. Paul goes on when he talks about the church to say that everyone who believes belongs to the body of Christ and everyone who believes deserves equal honor though everybody serves different functions. Doesn't matter how much or how little you do, we all share the same amount of the love of Jesus Christ. As a result of David being shaped by grace, he comes out of this wilderness battle, not with bitterness and with arrogance, but with mercy and grace. See, David could have come back and said, oh, you stupid people complaining. Look what I did. Look what your king did. Bow to me. I've rescued your families. He could have done that. That's how it goes in Hollywood. But David didn't do that. He showed mercy and grace. Because wilderness seasons push you and I to learn that grace is not just a concept, it's a reality. And it changes the way you live. See, here's the logic of grace. I just want to keep it so simple because I got to keep it simple for myself. God gives me what I don't deserve. That means what I have is a gift. Therefore, share it freely. That's the logic of grace. Everything you and I have, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. That means everything I have is a gift. Therefore, my my hands need to be open. Or let Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 4. What do you have that God hasn't given you? 
And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? Isn't it amazing how God does miracles and then a few weeks later we start taking the credit for it? Like we pray and we're like so desperate, like God provide and he provides, right? Oh, yay, praise report email. And a few weeks later, like, yeah, I mean, if it weren't for me, you know, we wouldn't have come through that month financially. It's so easy to do that. Paul says, why boast as though this were not a gift? It's a gift. See, in the wilderness season, here's why I say this. In the wilderness season, our tendency is to hoard. The going gets tough. We're like, oh, I'm not going to be as generous. I'm not going to be as kind. I'm not going to be as compassionate. Yet, understanding grace means you hold loosely to all that you have, recognizing God is the one that gave it to you in the first place. And listen, grace keeps you from worshiping yourself like Saul did. Understanding grace means understanding God. To forget grace means to forget God. Because listen, church, God does not bless us because he owes us. God blesses us because he loves us. That is the truth. And so you and I, we must steward all that we have, like David stewarded the spoil of the battle as a gift. See, I want nothing more for your story and for the story of your family and for the story of these churches to be the story of long obedience. There's gonna be sins and failures for sure. There have been and there will be, but will we repent? Will it be a story of long obedience? Will we learn to, to listen? Because God... Part of this journey is learning to be a people who have been stripped yet equipped. A people who are weak yet strong. A people who are humble yet confident. A people who are desperate yet filled with the Spirit. Because in the wilderness, you may not be able to say, look at my money or look at my resources or look at my career. But you can say, look at my God. You can say, look at my God because of Jesus. See, Jesus is the one who enters into our grief and he mourns with us like David mourned with his men. He doesn't minimize it. He mourns with us. Then he bears it and he brings us through it all in faithful victory because the gospel says our sin has held us captive and our enemy, the devil, has robbed us, yet Jesus has conquered. And it was because Jesus went through his wilderness and not only faced the devil in the desert, but he faced the devil even on the cross when he took upon himself the weight of all of our sin through his blood, sweat, and tears. He comes out of the ultimate wilderness battle with grace and mercy for all. For the tired and for the exhausted and for the unworthy, which is all of us, guess what? A victory is given to you. And it's given by grace. Because in Jesus Christ, the victory that you need is not achieved, it's received. It's not one that you can bring about for yourself. It's one that Christ has brought about for you. And when you understand that, it gives you a listening ear in the wilderness. It teaches you to trust in times of adversity. And listen, that means if what Jesus Christ has done for us is true, then that means in Jesus Christ, even the wilderness can become a fruitful place for your life. For in Jesus Christ, all the great promises of the Bible come true for you. And they come true for me. They come true. 
promises like Isaiah 43, 19. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Do you know that if your faith is in Christ today, that you may feel like you're lost and in the wilderness and you don't see how anything good can come about it and yet your God says to you, I'm making a way in the wilderness. (laughs) You show me a challenge, show me a desert, I'll make a stream because that is the story of our God. And so today he invites you to listen to him. Some of you, you need to listen. You need to pray to him. You need to inquire of the Lord today and to lean on him and to learn of him. Where there's no clear path forward, God creates it. Where there's no refreshment, God provides it. The question for you and I is this, church. Will we come to him? Will we come to him now? Let's do that. Father, I pray that you would truly give us ears to hear. That we would know right now that whatever season we're in, whatever we are going through, that God, you are with us. If our faith is in Christ, and I pray that if there is any man or woman in this room who does not yet know you, that right now in this moment, they would say, Jesus, save me. Save me on the basis of what you have done, not on the basis of what I have done. And that we would all, whether we're in the season or know someone who is, humble ourselves before you and say, God, we may not know the path, we may not know the answers, we may not know what tomorrow holds, but we know you and you are enough. You are more than enough. Father, teach us to worship in every season. And I pray that today you would give a boldness of faith to every man and woman here. That if we have need, we would come to you. If we need healing, that we'd come to you as healer. If we're in need of direction, that we'd come to you as our guide. May we come to you in faith. Even in the wilderness, that you might produce fruit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.